So this is the post-National Signing Day edition of the OUinsider.com podcast. I am joined by OUI staff writer Colin Kennedy, who is gracious enough to hang out and talk about this 2020 class with me. Colin, how you doing, man? I'm good, doing well, my man. I'm excited to talk some ball. It's been a minute. Yeah, no, no right. And we're going to probably get into the XFL stuff latest week. I know you're going to be down covering the Dallas Renegades inaugural game against the Battlehawks. I'm excited about that, too. Man, it's going to be such a fun weekend down in Arlington. I'm, I've been really having a good time covering the practices and talking to Coach Stoops and the rest of those former Sooners. I can't wait, but I know we got a lot of recruiting talk to get to, as, of course, you mentioned, National Signing Day just wrapping up. Yeah, man. Uh, so I want to take a national view of this first because Oklahoma is a national brand. So please indulge me as I go through this story that I just posted to OUinsider.com. If you are interested in reading it or sharing it, I would appreciate it. So the Southeastern Conference has proven to be the most dominant league in college football for nearly 30 years, dating back to Gene Stalling and his 1992 Alabama Crimson Tide National Championship. In that span of time, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Florida, and Tennessee have joined the Gators, or, or I should say joined Alabama, with at least one national title. In that span, only Oklahoma, Nebraska, and Texas have won a national title, if you want to go back to the earliest formation of the Big 12. And while many would be right to point out much of the success in the uh, SEC has been attributed and should be to Nick Saban and the dynastic Crimson Tide he's built that kind of misses the point, right? The Tide is dominant or has been because the strength of the conference is not just recruiting but development of those elite recruits. And if we take a look at this, three of the top five and seven of the top ten spots in the 2020 national team rankings go to SEC teams. That's Anybody could see that. If you dig a little bit farther, you see that 11 of the 14 teams in the SEC finished inside the top 30 in the national rankings, meaning – 2-10 Arkansas with losses to Western Kentucky and San Jose State finished 15 spots ahead of Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State at 45th, and that was the fourth-best class in the Big 12. The fourth-best class in the SEC is Texas A&M, and they finished number six nationally, right? And it gets worse, right, uh, as five teams in the Big 10 finished inside the top 30, right? That's just three for the Big 12. And then the Big 12 signed 25 fewer recruits, four-star recruits, then the Big Ten. The Big Ten signed 65, the Big 12 signed 40. And then if we just want to take the elite prospects, 15 of a possible 35 stars signed with the SEC, according to the composite. And the ACC signed five, the Big Ten signed four, or Big Ten signed four the Pac-12 signed four, and the Big 12 signed one. That means Clemson with five, Georgia with four, Alabama with four, LSU with three, Ohio State with three, Oregon with three, and a and with two all signed more five-star players than the entire Big 12. And Washington, Maryland, South Carolina, and Florida each signed as many five-star players as the entire Big 12 conference. And then you talk about national recruiting titles. Alabama's got eight of ten, and Georgia has two of the last three. So we go back to the Big 12, and we'll see, yeah, Texas finished with the best recruiting class in the conference again for the third year in a row while Oklahoma's won five straight championships. Now, we know that Texas recruits well, but they develop like, you know, a bunch of roses trying to grow in a dank basement with no light. They just don't develop them. Meanwhile, Oklahoma has a different problem, right? It's, yeah, cool, you've won five straight Big 12 championships, but at some point that feels like being all state in Rhode Island. If you can't beat an SEC team, in the two most important postseason games, so that was that was the take, Colin. And I'm interested to hear what you're what you have to say or, or what you think about that. Well, I think it's an incredibly valid one, but I, I just think we have to admit to ourselves that the Big Twelve Conference will probably never out recruit the SEC, just for a number of factors. I mean, location, prowess, overall impact, and branding. It all favors the Southeastern Conference. And, and, but you also are right on to something. Just the way that the SEC is able to out-recruit so many other top-tier programs like in Oklahoma, Texas, even though their on-field product may not necessarily indicate that. But I also look to like an Ohio State or, or Michigan. Just think about this. As we know, I am a Texas guy, born and raised in the state. And to me, one of the more telling things is just within – the state rankings, you look at it, 
I mean, I see one, two, three, four, five of the top six in the state of Texas, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings, did not end up in the Big 12. And it would be all six if Zach Evans had signed somewhere. Right. So that's startling to me. Like, the, the state of Texas is the recruiting hotbed for the Big 12 Conference, correct? I think it's a safe assumption. Yes. But now, when you're losing your hotbeds in recruiting, a Texas, maybe some Oklahoma players that are now starting to explore other options, it's just it's startling to see how the Southeastern Conference has distanced itself from so many of the other members of the Power Five. And I don't know that that's a mountain that any other team will be able to climb just because of the state of college football and the way that this thing is panning out on the recruiting trail. Right, and I think you also bring up a valid point when you talk about the branding and where you can go to get players because I've been very fond of taking a look at where players are coming from in Florida produces the most blue-chip recruits, that's four and five stars, and NFL players of any state, right? Georgia had more blue-chips than California for the first time with 25 to 24, and Texas is always a monster, but it is not a monster in the way that many people think. You know, if you take a look at the number of kids that play high school football in the state of Texas and the number of kids that play high school football in the state of Oklahoma, and then you juxtapose that with how many of those kids sign letters of intent to play college football at any level, Oklahoma does a better job at 3.8%. And Texas signs about 2.7%. So just taking that number into account and knowing that Texas is not as great as it thinks it is, as I mean, we many of us think that Texas football is the best football that there is, and that's just proving not necessarily to be true. And then when you go down there and you can't win, when you have kids that are going to A&M that play in the Southeastern Conference, when you have kids that are going to, tech, or to Louisiana or Florida, like Princely, Human Million, and choosing Florida over Baylor or Texas is a big deal. It's a big deal. You know, I get that you can go to Arizona to go get Bijan Robinson, mm -hmm. but it was a bigger deal to me that they got Kelvante Dixon out of Carthage because you need that kid one in this conference and you need him two to stay in, in the, in the state. And he was no guarantee to do that. No. And, and I just want to see now how the big 12 reacts. Like I know that there's starting to be a stronger emphasis, as you mentioned, on recruiting players from other States to come in because as you mentioned, and I'll full on admit it. I mean, the state of Texas, it has the, supposed prowess of being the best high school football you can find but as someone who grew up around it i still believe that georgia or florida are putting out just as good if not a marketably better product at the end of it all so i, I need to see how the big 12 conference combats the issue that we're currently discussing will there be more of an emphasis put on west coast guys do they feel confident enough that they can draw away those Florida recruits i know that missouri has been a top tier producer of talent recently for a number of different positions but even the state of missouri which is technically kind of in that big 12 region because of the fact that missouri's gone to the sec and ohio state's become the power that it is big 12 is losing out on those guys as well so i think the question we have to ask ourselves is is not can the big 12 make up the distance in recruiting to the sec conference it's how do they then establish their own path to build stronger play on the field because it's one thing to get the level of player in the recruiting rankings. But I mean, we talked about Texas lack of player development. I mean, A&M is one of the most underachieving programs in all of sports, Tennessee, a lot of them in there as well. I don't have particular much fondness for either of those programs mainly because of the waste of talent that goes in. So knowing that, how does the big 12, I guess, put more of an emphasis on player development because you're just never going to beat out the SEC in terms of recruiting, recruiting power, so to say. Right, and setting setting that aside for just a second, because I I I tend to, I believe that I can go out and I can win kids no matter where I am. I I I believe that. That said, Clemson it is located in what we geographically know as the as SEC country, right? So mm -hmm. they, going to Georgia to get kids, going to Florida to get kids is right there in their wheelhouse, and Dabo Sweeney knew that, and he's built a, a product around it, right? I mean, so much so that Deshaun Watson is a star in the NFL, and he had told people, I never thought I was going to play football in the state of Texas. Tells you a lot about where he was going to play his college football, regardless of whether or not he was picking Clemson, 
right? And you <laughs> we're talking about development. The, one of the best things that ever happened to the Big 12 was Matt Rule because he was able to take a yes. bunch of kids that nobody thought could play, or I, not nobody. I'm, I don't want to work in absolutes here. Enough people didn't think could play that they ended up on what we all believe was a piss-poor Baylor football team and was really trying to bring itself back out of the dark. And he did that with the help of Joey McGuire and, and Jeff Nixon. I mean, they built an outstanding product based entirely around the idea of we will develop the kids that we can get. Not the kids that want to be here. I hate that phrase. But the kids that we can get, right? If we can get Charlie Brewer, we're going to turn him into a player. And before the concussions, I was very fond of saying that's the best pro-style quarterback in this league. Like, I had more faith mm. in him succeeding the NFL level than I had any other quarterback, and that included Jalen Hurts. Um, did you did you want to follow up on that? No, no. You're, I think you're right on brand. I also mentioned, like, Brock Purdy is probably just on the outside looking in. But outside of that, I mean, you're completely correct. It, it, Charlie Brewer was definitely one of the better pro-style quarterbacks in the conference. And it's, it is incredible. You mentioned the, the Baylor product what they were able to do. I think you're right on brand with this take. And it, it give Matt Rule what Texas A&M had, they probably win a national championship. Oh, for sure. <laughs> man, it's unbelievable how terrible that program is as a player development. I'm going to get heated about that, man. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, and we're, we'll talk about that a little bit later on because they're, they're also still my pick for Zach Evans' landing spot, and they have been. Even before the Georgia thing became true, I was like, eh, he'll end up at A&M. At some point, and now it seems like he's going to be there as a... This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. As a freshman, that's a separate topic. But let's talk about the 2020 recruiting class. It is done. Even adding a kicker late. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I, this is me, Colin. I can't get excited about a kicker, and I, sh I surely can't get excited about a kicker the day after signing day, but Cole's kicking camp rates him a five-star, which I is not nothing, right? He's a local kid, which I love right. coming out of Bishop McGinnis. If anything, what do you have to say about that? Well, it's something that I believe has value, obviously. I mean, we've, we've come to learn very quickly I think as we've consumed OU football, the importance of special teamers. I mean, Amen. man, I still don't believe that we've given Gabe Burkett enough credit for what he accomplished this past season. By the way, how did Callum Sutherland win that job? Someone explain to me hey. how the heck he ended up kicking hey. the football to begin the season. Hey, man, like, remember we, we, we were having that same conversation about Davis Webb at Texas Tech. Like, how does he beat out Baker Mayfield? <laughs> You know, it, it, it goes how it goes. Like, I'm not going to hold a grudge on that because Gabe was ready, and this game is as much about luck and staying focused on what you can control as much as winning. Like, that I think we don't give him enough credit for because, you know, how many times do we watch kids that we know can play just wilt because circumstances just stack against them? I mean, an example for this uh, of this for me is Levi Draper. Like, we all think the world of Levi Draper as a player but because of the injury and because Kenneth Murray Jr. kept getting the snaps and then you have turnover with the staff, I mean, so many things just did not go Levi's way. doesn't mean he can't play, and that's what I mean by circumstances. Like, how does Levi Draper not get on the field? Because next year I expect that kid to have over 100 tackles in the SEC because he's just going to play. That's, I mean, that's what it is. So I think you're right to point out we don't give Gabe Burkich enough credit I would add to that we don't give him enough credit for just staying ready, man. Just staying ready. And then following through. Didn't miss a kick. Yeah. Didn't miss a kick. Man, he, he is nailing them. And I think you bring up a great point. It's all about circumstances. And circumstances change. Situations are ever-evolving. And so adding a guy like Zach Schmidt has validity to it. I mean, you never know what Gabe Burkett is going to be like a year from now. Right. Sure, he was nailed this season, but – 
man, specialists get so flaky at times, <laughs> and you've seen that in the past in Oklahoma uniform that you, you got to have somebody ready. So, no, I think it's I think it's a good pickup. And overall, when you mentioned circumstances change, that's kind of the theme, in my opinion, for this 2020 class. It was a class that added depth. It added some important pieces and positions of need. And I think overall, while it may not have the flash or the pomp of the 2019 group, this is what I've been saying, a class that lays the foundation for sustained success, especially in the trenches. And in my opinion, if you're going to catch up, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, to the SEC, you have to have the dudes down in those trenches to win the battles. And this class does exactly that, in my opinion. 100%. So let's let's go to that. I'm going to ask you for the, the player that you like the most to start. Which player in this 2020 class do you like the most? Oh, it's sneaky. I, I, I'm i a really, really big fan of Marvin Mims. I, I just, I got a chance to see him play a ton. I followed him intently through the Texas high school football playoffs. Just for a number of different perspectives, this guy is next level. I'm going to start off the field from a maturity standpoint. He is so incredibly well-spoken and about himself. He went off and essentially saved Frisco Lone Star season in one of the games I attended, and I asked him about it afterwards. And the first thing he talked about was how important the community of Frisco was to him and how much he wanted to uplift their spirits in times of need. Like that That's not something you hear a kid of his age talk about. But then you look at what he does on the field, I understand that he's what six foot one seventy something, and they just brought in an incredible haul of receivers. But Marvin Mims to me is so advanced in terms of high pointing the football and creating space. He's such a smart player on the field that his technicalities outweigh what he may bring from a physicality standpoint, if that makes sense. So I'm a really big fan of Marvin Mims, and knowing the maybe lack of depth that will be necessarily established heading into next season a guy like him will be heavily leaned upon in my opinion because of these various aspects that he brings to the table I think that's a solid pick man I'd add to that he's wildly mature like so much so that when I was interviewing him for a feature in December I said what do you plan to do after football which is a question I give to most of the kids so now you know get a job move home start a family <laughs> wasn't even thinking about Playing the NFL, he was thinking about graduating, you know, yeah. and that, that I love that, and I, I expect him to play in the NFL, but that's not the point. The point is just his maturity, man. Okay, my favorite is Perion Winfrey. He has the mm. ability to come right in with his size, with his hand fighting skills, and pick up where Neville Gallimore left off and give you a capable running mate with Leron Stokes and or Jalen Redmond, depending on which group you want to run out there first. I know that Josh Ellison is, for some folks, a favorite. I mean, he had 123 tackles as a defensive tackle in high school in one season. I'm going, how do you even do that? And then you watch the tape and you understand. But Winfrey was a guy that needed to go the junior college route for grades. He got himself correct. He got himself right. And he is overjoyed to be playing football at a place like the University of Oklahoma he let slip to me that he ended up at Iowa Western in part because Iowa State wanted him to end up there so they could come get him later, right? And then he basically overperformed <laughs> Iowa State and decided that OU was a place for him to be. And his jersey number is going to be eight. He's going, And I love the, the defensive linemen that wear the single digit. But for this reason, I love him even more. He picked eight for its biblical meaning, which for, for those of you that don't know, it has undertones of resurrection and new beginnings. And Winfrey believes that OU is his new beginning, and I'm pulling for him in a big way, and I think he can help you tremendously up front. I, I love that pick, and you mentioned the new beginnings. He is going to be such an important piece of this new beginning for the Oklahoma defense, if you will, what Alex Grinch was able to accomplish last season. It was incredible if you really think about the pieces that he had, and then taking it to what it became. But Winfrey is certainly a guy that helps you reach the next level. And I'm so excited to see him, what he can provide. You mentioned kind of substituting in for Neville Gallimore, but also who he is just as himself. I mean, everything you hear about him is the high motor, the elite level aggression. 
that's a, the presence that Oklahoma fans have been calling for for, gosh, how many years now? Can he be that guy? I believe that because of the, the, the personality traits that you're mentioning, he certainly has the foundation to succeed at a high level. I can't wait to see what he brings to the table. I, I want to ask you this, though, as we kind of go through as well, RJ, to give you an opportunity to lead into some analysis. We mentioned the guys that we like the most. Who are some guys, maybe one guy that you really firmly believe is a little bit underrated that could surprise at the next level? I recently wrote a piece about this. I'm interested about your take because, in my opinion, there is a really sneaky amount of depth in this class, even though they finish outside the top ten. And it was a really great piece for those of you that are members it is VIP, so please get to it. It was outstanding. I thought you made some really good points. I don't want to steal any. But right now, I, I thinking about that and thinking about what I believe, man, I love Shane Witter. I just mm. I just love his, at six foot, 225, legitimate 4.46 speed. He has played Wildcat quarterback. He has played slot receiver. He has played outside receiver. He's played some safety. He's been an edge rusher, but he shines as your inside linebacker and at a position where you're going to need depth and you need depth, not just because, you know, Caleb Kelly or Deshaun White or Brian Asamoah might get hurt, but to sharpen those guys up. I mean, one of the best things to happen to Oklahoma in the 2018 season, as wild as it is to say, is Curtis Bolton beating Caleb Kelly out for that job at will linebacker Mm. because they needed him to be the best player on the defense, even as that defense was trash statistically and gave up way more yardage and way more points than they had any right to. Curtis Bolton was really good in it, (laughs) right? And if you don't have him there to push Caleb Kelly, one, you probably don't get uh, the kind of play that you got out of that position. But two, now you have Caleb Kelly knowing what it takes and competing once again to get back on the field. We know about the ACL injury and he's, he's slotted right now as the starting will next to the mic we assume to be Deshaun White. But if Witter and Brendan Walker and those type of guys can come in and push him and push Brian Asamoah and push Brian Meade, you get better as a defense in a hurry. Man, I agree 100%. And by the way, Curtis Bolton to Shane Witter, I feel like it's such a an accurate comparison. If you look at the frame, but also what they bring to the table in terms of on-field play, I think it's a spot-on comparison. He is a really intriguing aspect of this class. One of the few guys that's going to be able to provide some linebacker depth mm-hmm. in this class, and linebacker depth is certainly needed. I want to quickly mention the fact that I, I think we are really high on Noah Renze as a staff, correct? I think he's a stud. But I just don't know that we've talked about this guy enough, especially because, as I mentioned earlier, the wide receiver depth to me is such a big question mark heading into this offseason. What Trayvon West did, R.J., this season, uh, people in the DFW Metroplex were blowing up my line saying, dude, you got to come check this guy out. He doesn't talk once, but his play does enough talking for him. Trayvon West balled out for Arlington Lamar this season. Like what he did was next level. He averaged over 21 yards per catch uh, and he's playing against really good competition. So, when you look at maybe some underrated factors and maybe key contributors heading into the next season, Coach Simmons got to find guys that can step up in place of major losses in that receiving core. And I know that Trayvon West may not be the most heralded of a prospect, but product speaks for itself. And if he's able to carry any of that momentum in the next year, man, he's proven to be a big play commodity and we know that this big play offense could be even more highlighted with an arm like Spencer Rattlers if he eventually earns that job, and I believe he will. So Trayvon West, to me, is a guy I don't know that a lot of OU fans have necessarily taken into consideration, but, man, he's another important piece of this class as we head into the 2020 season. No, it's an outstanding pick, and he was the first wide receiver in. People forget that. And when I say March last year was when he committed. It was pretty quick, and he stayed committed, and there's been nothing to – actually get upset about or unless you watched him like you did to get excited about I would also add to that depth that at a position where there just isn't a lot of experience I know that Obi Obialo is going to take up the slack for Theo Howard but that still leaves just Jaden Hazelwood Theo Weiss and Charleston Rambo along with Trajan Bridges as the only guys with college football experience 
I know many of us are very high mm-hmm. on Drake Stoops, but he's still not on scholarship, even as I think that's going to change. I would I also just kind of slide in there. You, you said something that I thought was really important, which is, you know, OU fans didn't really think much about him. They didn't think much about Hollywood Brown when he signed in 2017 either. He was buried on that 2017 class. We didn't think that was mm-hmm. going to amount to much, right? And he got just a little bit bigger, but not a whole lot bigger, and he turned out to be the best wide receiver Oklahoma's had, what, uh, 2017 and 2018? Yeah, so Tra- yeah. Trayvon West has that potential. So I would. I agree, hundred percent, man. I wanted, to, I want to flip back to you, and ask you, mm. who is the guy that has? I guess Trayvon West kind of answers this question, but who has the most upside? Most upside to me, I, I think this is a really interesting pick because this is that's kind of a clean slate, right? You right, can pick. Right. Right. The high-level guys or the low-level guys. I know Reggie Grimes is incredibly raw, but to me, he has a ton of potential. Uh, to me, though, the most upside, and in my opinion, that means who is the guy that could be an All-American right. or, or a first-round NFL draft pick? I got to go with the in-state or Andrew Raines. I, I just feel like who he is as a player, he's built to be such a strong contributor for seasons to come and then eventually carry that over to the next level. I went out there. We were working on this whole commitment thing. I've seen him work, and then we, we obviously kept a really strong track of him as the season went on. I got to go to one of his games, and he he really is such a, a strong talent. I know Lincoln Riley said he thought he was maybe one of the most advanced in-state prospects that he's seen in his time in the state, and I agree. I think Andrew Rain has all the tools to be that next-level guy on the offensive line so for me, when you're talking just straight up upside, and I know that he can reach that upside, it's Andrew Rame, no question about it. I think we, I mean, uh, it, it'd be, I would rob our listeners of saying that I would go with Andrew Rame as well, because, I mean, that's not the point, but mm-hmm. I, I can't agree more with you because it's, he's also the highest ranked player in this class for, for OU at number 41. I mean, watching this kid leg out a triple <laughs> at Broken Arrow last year. Going, what, wait, oh, man. And as a baseball guy, yeah. I love that. 6'5", 285. That awesome. Leg it out stuff. What are you doing? <laughs> God. Uh, like, uh, Getting the dirt, big fella. Yeah, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 no, it was great. Um, so the guy I think has the most upside is actually Michael Henderson. Um just because of his versatility, having played the quarterback position, which I think is wildly underrated when you're asking guys to play other positions, not unlike Braden Willis, who was a, a late addition to the 2018 class, but has proven to be essential playing not just on teams, and when I say teams, I mean special teams, but plays some fullback and then some tight end and then back to some fullback. You can do all, all kinds of different things with him, and if you want to throw some throwback stuff, you can do that with Braden Willis. You can also mm-hmm. do that with Michael Henderson. Henderson's also already just a bigger dude at about six foot two, two thirty, and he's been if he flirted with the idea of playing quarterback in the Big Twelve, TCU and or Kansas State, we're gonna let him try to do that. And he could go to Texas and do something. He could go to Georgia and do something, but he chose to come to Oklahoma, where he's gonna play that really interesting. I don't want to say essential, but interesting versatile position that is fullback in Lincoln Riley's system because we've seen Jeremiah Hall in it. We've seen, of course, Braden Willis in it. We also got to see what Dimitri Flowers made it be, right? And we've been looking for a guy mm-hmm. who can make it that once again. I think Michael Henderson gives you that option. No, I think that's a great point. And he's kind of a guy to me when you talk about, I'm just going to call it the H-back because of the versatility that you mentioned. Even before Lincoln Riley made that position so important with Dimitri Flowers or Jeremiah Hall or Braden Willis. I'm high on all of them. Think about like similar guys playing that fullback tight end role in Trey Millard or an Aaron Ridkowski. Like OU has had actually, if you think about it, a pretty strong reputation for that position. And as a result, it's become impactful in the grand scheme of that strong offense. So when you, when you think about who he is as a player, you mentioned it. Good frame, great athleticism, and a very strong understanding of the game because he what he had to do in high school. He has so much upside going into this season. But yeah, he could certainly factor into that rotation with those two younger guys 
in Jeremiah Hall and Braden Willis. So I like to pick a lot. I think that down the line, as those three develop, man, Henderson is going to be a mismatch nightmare. And to me, he is a Dimitri Flowers waiting in the wings. Yeah, it's hard to be an All-American as a as an H-back fullback just because you don't get the snaps. But I really love what he could allow for in 2020 and even 2021. I mean, especially in 2021 and 2022 with uh, we expect this this OU team to be geared for 2021 more than 2020, but all they've done is go 12 and two, 12 and two, 12 and two in Riley's first three years as a head coach. The last question I had for you mm. there, my, my knock on this class, because we talked about it fills gaps. You provide depth. There isn't a can't miss guy in it, right? There's just not mm-hmm. that said, who is uh, outside of Andrew Rame? Who is the closest thing to a can't miss guy? It's a really tough question to ask. In my opinion, the can't-miss guy, and I'm going to approach this from a little bit of a different perspective. I think a lot of people perceive the can't-miss guy as like the five-star, extremely heralded prospect that you just plug anywhere and he succeeds, right? right? I mean, you have to have those dudes. Right. But I also look at a can't-miss guy as someone who helps you build the foundation of what you're trying to achieve from a systematic perspective. So as a result, I'm going to look at Bryson Washington because I know that this defense is trying to add speed, length, and overall aggression slash passion. Man, Bryson Washington nails all three or four of those categories. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about can't miss, you needed a vocal leader, a presence to assemble this defensive recruiting class. And Washington evolved into exactly that. I mean, Lincoln Riley said it in the early signing period. Washington became so impactful in order to assemble these recruits because he was the guy that told everybody, Hey, trust in what we're trying to do. Trust in what Alex Grinch is selling. We can do this if we all buy in. So when you think about can't miss guys, you had to have someone who one fit your schematic goals. And number two, eventually helped you build on that goal. And to me, Bryson Washington was that, and he became that once they landed his commitment. No, that's a, Great pick. It's an outstanding pick, especially from the standpoint of knowing what you needed at safety after Delarian Turner Yell went down. I'm not a fan of guys playing out of position like Justin Broyles, who got cooked in the Peach Bowl, but you also mm. saw Grinch, who wanted to throw a bunch of bodies in there on defense, really only threw two out there at safety, and that was Pat Fields and Delarian Turner Yell. So having guys that can actually come in there and help you and, and sharpen those guys up is important. I'm going to go with Seth McGowan, running back out of Poteet. Mm-hmm. just might be the strongest pound-for-pound guy on campus right now as a true freshman. And at the running back position, the way that Oklahoma has been so good at it, I've been looking for the next Samaj P. Ryan. Not Mixon, because Mixon's a different kind of animal altogether. They, they're coming that big and that fast. Just doesn't usually... Yeah, that's a dog. Right, right, right. There's a reason why he's five-star. But in thinking about what Seth McGowan was able to do at Poteet and the way that he can run between the tackles... And he's faster than we give him credit for. It's actually one of the things that he made a point of pointed out to me is, yo, man, I'm, I'm fast. And I, I'm a great catcher of the ball out of the backfield. And he wants it. And more than that, he's the only running back in this class. Right? So you, <laughs> you really got to love him because you also gave up recruit Corey Wren, who ends up signing with Florida State and had 4-3 speed mm-hmm. and was also a tremendous catcher of the ball out of the backfield after losing Jace McClellan in the flip to Alabama. So they feel they they think the world of him, but when his time comes, I'm not gonna be worried about him the way that we were once worried about Kennedy Brooks. We didn't even know if that guy was going to pan out at all because he just didn't look like what you're used to seeing at OU. And now he's turned out to be your bell cow back, and he and Trey Sermon I expect will be your two leading rushers next year. With TJ Pledger, we hope comes on. We like to see Marcus Major for the first time, and then McGowan if he can push those guys and get run along with Ramon J. Stevenson. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we all know that they, they love to run the football. You know, it's If you're going to give them that option, they're going to take it. Seth McGowan, I think, is the guy that I would expect to com- compete for time the most. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. 
on that offensive side of the ball for sure. Uh, I want to switch. Mm. Want to switch to 2021 and tee up. Let's do it. Three guys committed: Cullen Montgomery, Ethan Downs, Cody Jackson. Who's the guy that has to join this class for you in 2021? Well, it's very interesting because I think a lot of people on the service level will say the dude you have to land is Caleb Williams, right? I mean, the quarterback position is so heralded. And I think then you kind of go off of that and say maybe a Kamar Wheaton five-star running back, just get that title in there. But I'm going to go on someone that you can touch on a ton, RJ, and, and that's to me, say, Adelier. In my opinion, I've told this several times to people who ever asked me the question, who does you have to land in 2021, like bar none? Well, all I hear about in terms of complaints from OU fans, right, is when are we going to land that five-star defensive tackle? When are they going to get elite-level talent on the defensive line of scrimmage? Well, to answer all of those prayers, Oklahoma has to go out and land to Mise Adelier. And if they don't, I just don't know that you're going to have, again, that selling point or voice to help bring in other top-tier recruits. Every other 2021 or 2022 defensive prospect that I talked to said that they would full-heartedly consider committing to Oklahoma if they saw a dog commit to Oklahoma in 2021. So keeping that in consideration, isn't Tomise Adelier the exact guy when you think about the relationship he has with the staff, the fit, the versatility, the overall prowess as a prospect? I mean, he is a headliner. So I, I think you cannot, you cannot, go through 2021 without Tanisha Adelier's name in the signing list. I would like to think so, man. Uh, there's two things, right? Because I agree with you. I mean, he's one of the smartest kids I've, I've talked to in this 2021 class. He's one of the more mature kids that I've talked to in this 2021 class. He's taken into account all of it. I would I would give it to OU or Texas A&M right now, but you know, since moving to Bradenton, Florida, where he's going to finish out his prep career at IMG Academy, he's come interested in University of Florida, which is SEC football. And we've talked about this. Elias Ricks ended up going to IMG Academy after his junior year at a matter day, ends up at LSU. Now, the thing that I think is interesting about your pick with Tamise is his commitment date is until August, right? Which means that you would -hmm. would want to have half your class in the boat by that date. You know, so having that guy around to lead would right. have to would have to be through the season, and that's not usually you want to have that guy in place for spring game, or if you can, if you're lucky, but by the summer, right, by the beginning of the summer, because they'll do a lot of recruiting right. for you on, on the on the back end, like Spencer Rattler did when he joined. I believe he was the second guy after Austin Stogner for the 2019 class. I got that right. I think so. Okay. All right. Well, having that guy mm-hmm. to build around, and I think that's another reason why people would point to the quarterback, but. You made, I mean, you made that argument, and, I, and I've been supported. Lincoln Riley's going to do with a quarterback what he can do with a quarterback. He's going to get the most out of that guy. There also is just a scarcity of five-star defensive linemen in this conference. All right? Like, we're talking about Alfred Collins mm. in the 2020 class, and that's it. Just Alfred Collins. Whereas, if you, mm-hmm. if you really want to compete outside of the Big 12, you need to Mise Adelier to sign with Oklahoma. And you need him to want that mantle of carrying not just OU, but the Big 12 against the SEC. And he's going to need help, right? Because if we look around, the idea that Jordan Birch chooses South Carolina, I get he's from South Carolina, but choosing South Carolina just floored me. Or the idea of Brian Brzee out of Maryland choosing Clemson floored me you know the idea that Clemson ends up with three of the top six defensive linemen in the 2020 class but all those guys want to play together and that's the other part about this right if you get to Misa Adelie you're more than likely going to get another five-star player because now that guy's going to want to recruit somebody that can keep a double team off of him and that's what you get at Clemson mm-hmm. right we talk about them being able to reload they know they're not going to see a double team because as soon as you double with somebody up that other person's going to free to the quarterback because you can't man yeah, up you're on your one. back right and that's the thing, right? The sooner you can get that guy in, the sooner he can help you recruit across that defensive front. And then when you get to those five-star players across the defensive front, you can start talking about winning national championships again because that's that's what it is, right? If I can be your five mm-hmm. with my four, 
I'm going to win more than you. Just full stop. So, no, I, I love that pick. Who else are you really excited about in the 2021 class? Well, it's an, here's the thing. I want to lead up to saying this. Okay. 2021, I don't know how you feel about it. I think 2021 is just so loaded with talent. It's actually incredible the number of big-name guys or key contributors that could come in year one and provide some sort of presence that are on this list. I, I look at the 2021 group and I look then kind of other positions of importance for me. And I think that it's very intriguing that Oklahoma goes and lands five offensive linemen in 2020, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know that all five of those guys are to the level that I believe this dude is. In my opinion, if you look at 2021, the level of talent specifically on the offensive line in the Houston-based area is incredible, RJ. I'm talking about like generational-type overall talent in that one location. And OU is not in on a ton of them. I mean, obviously they get Montgomery from that area, but you, you'll go through the list. There's not a lot of guys considering Oklahoma heavily right now. With that taken into consideration, I look at Bryce Foster as someone that OU's got to go get. He just was in Norman, seemingly had a great time there. They're appealing to his ability to get it done with shot play. By the way, man, he's next level at that. But, but when I was down there at the opening regionals in Houston – what I saw from Bryce Foster is an all-American type talent. And I know they're probably only going to take like three guys on the offensive line in 21. But if you're going to take two or three, you got to make sure you hit on those two or three guys. And to me, I know what I'm getting from Bryce Foster. And I, I'm always going to say you win and lose games in the line of scrimmage. So for me, Bryce Foster is someone I'm incredibly excited about. And I think that Oklahoma's starting to gain a little bit of traction with Texas and Texas A&M as this thing goes along. No, man, that's a great pick. And I'll, I'll add to this. Cullen Montgomery is a starting offensive tackle for Houston Episcopal. On the other side is Donovan Jackson, who's committed to play at Ohio State. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's the talent that you're talking about. The idea that you got both of those guys at a place that is as small as Houston Episcopal blows my mind. And I'm going, who do I, who do I pick on? Because the center is also really good. You know, I'm just, good luck, Houston area. Good luck with that. Uh, uh, let me see. 2021, I, right. I keep going back and forth because, like, I really love A.J. Green. I love A.J. Green. Mm. I love him. Um, I also don't know that he – I don't know that he can play running back at the Power 5 level, but he wants to. I know that a lot of places are looking at him as a cornerback in the 2021 class, but he's another of uh, my hometown kids from Tulsa Union that I think has an opportunity to play wherever he wants. Uh, we could continue to look around the state and not just the 2021 kids, but the 2022 kids as well, like Gentry Williams and uh, Talon Shetron at Edmond Santa Fe. Uh, Jacob Sexton in 2021 at Deer Creek. My goodness, six foot five, three hundred five. You know, I got a text uh, last week that Lincoln Riley was already making his way down there to make sure that he knows he's a priority going get after it, Lincoln. Is there something you want to touch mm. on that we haven't? I, I think that probably sums it up. I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the quarterback position before wrapping up on the signing day podcast, because obviously Chandler Morris coming in, Caleb Williams is the target after Brock Vandegrift makes it a a commitment with Georgia. I'd just be curious about your take on the quarterback recruitment world, especially because I think a lot of people after Vandegrift went to Georgia just assumed that Caleb Williams would be in the bag. And I think we're learning very quickly that is not going to be the case at all, especially with what LSU has been able to do, essentially revamping their offensive schematic. So kind of some thoughts on Chandler Morris coming in, even though he's not expected to be a contributor in 2020, maybe what his ceiling is in a Sooner uniform, and then what do you believe is the the route to land Caleb Williams, knowing who you're combating for his commitment? I think the ceiling for Chandler Morris is absolutely a starting quarterback at Oklahoma. I just don't see it while Spencer Mm -hmm. Rattler is still at OU. Now, Mm -hmm. 2023 comes around. Yeah, absolutely it could be Chandler Morris because he has that sort of arm talent, and he'll get a little bit more seasoning, and he'll get bigger. I I don't worry about 
Chandler Moore. It's just like I don't worry about Tanner Mordecai, right? I, I put them on the same category. But talking about Caleb Williams, no, it's not a slam dunk by any means. That said, Bryce Young wasn't a slam dunk either. Didn't stop Riley from just settling on that one guy. And then when that one guy decided to pick another place, he didn't really talk much, right? Uh, that that was it. It was, And I found that fascinating because we were all freaking out. Myself, mostly. I was freaking out because you take a quarterback every year. You take a quarterback every year. You take a quarterback every year. And it didn't look like he was going to get a quarterback. And then if Chad Morris doesn't get fired, probably doesn't get Chandler Morris. So I would have been really interested to see what his backup backup plan was. But we won't figure that out <laughs> until Caleb Kelly or Caleb Kelly, Caleb Williams decides what he's going to do. And that's what's so f- both frustrating and interesting about Lincoln Riley, right? Because you move on from mm-hmm. one, you go to one because you can only recruit one at a time. Because as I, I, I learned this uh, watching Brandon Harris's recruitment. So Brandon Harris ends up at LSU, but Nick Saban wanted mm-hmm. to recruit Brandon Harris and his, you know, head coach asked, okay, so how many quarterbacks you offered? I don't know, five or six. Okay, so you really haven't offered any. You know, that's the that's the tack that most are going to take. If they know that you have offered a bunch of them, but, but you haven't settled on one that you want, that's going to play. Settling on Caleb Williams after Brock Vandergriff, you know, kicks you to the curb and shows you a cold shoulder, might you might not be able to bounce back from that. You know, I, I wonder about mm-hmm. that, and I get that his dad is in on OU, and he thinks it's a great place for him to be, but Caleb doesn't really talk that much. You know, like I talked to him last summer after he took a visit to OU, mostly on the strength of his friend vouched for me, right? He's like, I don't really do these, I don't really like doing them, but uh, so-and-so said that you was you were cool so we could talk. He ain't going to talk to most people, right? You're going to find him. You're going to find him out in the wild. You're going to find him on a sideline. But as far as picking up the phone and whatnot, so I wonder how much of that goes on with Riley, right? If you don't get a lot of FaceTime with the kid, probably not going to win him, which means you're going to have to actually put in the work to let him know. And it gets back to that roundabout point that I was making. You got to outwork people. Like I know we talk about we, you, you can't expect to compete with the SEC. And I'll say, yeah, yeah, I can. It's, it's OU or it's Texas. I, yes, I can. I just have to outwork Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, and Ed Orgeron. I mean, we talk about what Ed Orgeron has been able to do, but what he's awesome at is making sure that he recruits people that ain't got a post mailbox. You know, like I, there's a story coming out of yeah. California. He had a guy where he didn't have any kids that were going to be good enough to go to USC when Ed Orgeron was still defensive line coach. And he says, I'm coming anyway. And he gets up there. And he hangs out, and he talks with everybody. He meets all the kids, and he said, Coach, what do you? I told you this is a waste of your time. I appreciate it, but what, what this waste of your time? He says, no, it's not. At some point, you're going to have a kid. Might not be a year. Might be 10 years from now. But I'm showing up, and I'm going, you're going to see my mm-hmm. face. And he does that everywhere, right? Like, he went down to Newman Academy last month to talk to Arch Manning. And Arch Manning's a 2023 kid. And I'm like, Ed. He'll be there. He's in New Orleans. He's taking no chances. And I think that's what you're going to have to do with Caleb Williams. If you really want him, especially after you already took Brock Vandegrift's commitment, you're going to have to show him that you really want him. It really is comes down to being recruited. Show me that you want me rather than saying this is the best situation for me. Because we see guys win dudes that have no business winning all the time. I I make this analogy on, on the radio a lot, which is, Many of us men do not deserve the women we have. They're better than us, right? They're better than us. But you know what? We recruited them. We didn't say, I got a spot. Do you want the spot? I'll find another wife. I'll find another girlfriend. You want the spot? I mean, I, I, got, I got 300 offers out. You want the spot or not? No. She says no. You say, it's all right. I'm, I'm going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> she says, I'm not, I'm not going out with you. That's all right. I'm going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, will you marry me? Nope. Uh, I don't. I don't do marriage. I don't do that. Okay. Well, I'll be here tomorrow. You know, and you essentially you wear her down by showing her you're it. You're all I want, and that's recruiting, right? That's recruiting. So I'm gonna be interested <laughs> to see how far that goes. I, I I think I answered your question, and I think I took that in a roundabout way. No, you did. Okay. And, and piggybacking off of that, you mentioned the fact that they have to show him 
he's wanted. Well, this is a guy that showed up in Norman as he watched Brock Vandegrift essentially be the priority for Lincoln Riley and the Sooner staff, right? I mean, he, he was at camp when they were all about Brock Vandegrift. He showed up in Norman on a couple of unofficials when he knew full well that Vandegrift was going to be the face of Oklahoma's 2021 class at that time. And then as the length of time went on and we saw what transpired, there's kind of that fresh, clean slate now. And, and it may be a clean slate for Oklahoma, but I have a hard time believing that that's not sitting in the back of Caleb Williams' mind. Like, well, I wasn't necessarily a priority before for that program, so now I need to know that that's the place I want to end up. Because it was just such an interesting dynamic for him. He loved the school. He loved the offensive system. He loved what Lincoln Riley was bringing to the table. But there was the other guy, and he was kind of on the outside looking in. So I fullheartedly believe that now you have to do what you're talking about. It, it, how is Lincoln Riley going to just be persistent and say, you know what? We want you real bad. And if Caleb Williams countered with, well, you didn't want me that bad before because you had your other guy, he said, well, we want you bad even more. We want you even more now that we don't have that option. And so and that's what's really intriguing to me about the whole Caleb Williams situation is how do they, I don't want to say mend that relationship, but how is it reestablished now that Vandegrift is out of the picture? And then just real quick to touch on Chandler Morris. I mean, a lot of people have asked me because I watch a couple of his games and I, I've been around the program of Highland Park for a while. What, what can he do for Oklahoma? What, what is the ceiling for him? And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's a starting quarterback at OU. I think I get a lot of slack because I think, yes, he's a very, very good arm talent. But to me, he's more of a West Coast quarterback when I see him play. He is so good with the timing routes, getting the ball out quickly, anticipating and placing it in an accurate manner. In my opinion, though, if you're going to be an Oklahoma quarterback, you're going to establish what Lincoln Riley wants to do offensively. You have to have maybe the arm that, say, like a Spencer Rattler or a Kyler Murray or probably even a Baker Mayfield in the back end of his career had. Just that live-action arm style. And so to me, I think Shannon Moore's a really, really good quarterback. Do I think that he can jump the hurdle of a Spencer Rattler or maybe a Caleb Williams down the line if he does end up in a Sooner uniform? I just don't know, but I do like the take by Lincoln Riley because you just never know, as we mentioned earlier in this podcast, circumstances change. And as we know with the Caleb Williams situation, it's not a guarantee. So Chandler Morse is definitely a guy that you can fall back on as the thing plays out. I mean, it's very intriguing, as we always know, the quarterback position under Lincoln Riley. So we got to touch on a bit of breaking news that just popped. The NFL Combine invitees for Oklahoma include Neville Gallimore, Jalen Hurts, Kenneth Murray, and C.D. Lamb. I think we all would have predicted those guys. We knew about Parnell Motley's snub earlier on. You, what are your thoughts there? Well, I just can't wait to see Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore test, hey, right? Hey, I mean, hey, they're going to bomb freaking show. Yeah, and, I mean, we could say CD too, but we already know what CD's about to accomplish, right? I mean, heck, if I'm CD, I'm just showing up for the free gear and not even doing a thing because I, I see no reason for him not to be the number one wide receiver taken in the upcoming draft. So I'm excited to see what those guys are going to accomplish. Jalen Hurts is going to be obviously probably the storyline of that week for Oklahoma. How does he prove to be that quarterback that everyone is hoping he eventually becomes? And obviously he started to get more and more of those freaking position change questions, which I just can't stand. I'm sorry, but no, it's going to be an intriguing process and, I'm Parno Motley being snubbed. Don't even get me started on that, man. I can't believe that that guy, after what he accomplished this past season, is not getting that recognition. It just, it's mind numbing to me how so many football minds could have that tape at their hands and that level of production and say, now nah, we're good. I just, it's, it blows my mind that Parno Motley will not be testing at the NFL Cup. I, I like me some pissed, Colin. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I, like, I like Matt, Colin. <laughs> no, uh, all right, so I am one of the, the folks saying Jalen should consider a position move. I understand how that hits a lot of people. I understand if you're a quarterback, you're a quarterback. Do what you want to do and how you want to do it. I also see his skill set as being the same as a guy like Taysom Hill. You know, Taysom Hill was a great BYU quarterback. He wasn't on the caliber mm-hmm. of Jalen Hurts, but he also didn't have the tools around him 
that Jalen Hurts had, right? I think with C.D. Lamb, you'll go through the combine testing, one, because you want to, because it's fun to play football or anything that resembles football. But two, if you want to get drafted ahead of T. Higgins and Jerry Judy, the best way to actually put that to bed is to out-compete them, is to beat them. Beat them in the 40, Mm. beat them in the vert, beat them in the broad, beat them in route combinations, whatever it might be. Because for me... I can see any one of those guys, those three guys, Judy, Higgins, or CD going first to whomever. But Higgins is size at six foot four at national championship pedigree. Jerry Judy with the same national championship pedigree. He is an elite route runner, right? Which matters. He does not have the hands yep. of a CD Lamb, but neither does T. Higgins, quite honestly. So I mean, I, I don't I don't get upset about that. I am with you on Kenneth Murray Jr. and Neville Gallimore. I want to see Kenneth Murray Jr. run. And I want to see Neville Gallimore do every single drill because for years this man has been talked about as one of the most freak athletes in all of college football, right? A a year-to-year entry Mm -hmm. on Bruce Feldman's freak list, right? Because at one point we heard tell of him being 330 and dropping 4-7 in the 40. And I'm like, now he didn't run that at the Senior Bowl, right? But he still got in the 4-8 range, and, and Quinn, Quinn and Williams was there. And we know what kind of a monster that he turned out to be, both for Alabama and for the Jets. So I'm, I'm excited to see what the underwear Olympics yields for those two guys in particular. And for Murray and Gallimore, really, but more for Murray, you can really put yourself into the first round with a great performance here. I agree 100%. I, I do want to bring something up that you said, and it's something that we are – we're starting to do more and more. And I just want to caution us as either members of the sports media realm or talent evaluators or just fans in general. Please don't start believing that Taysom Hills grow on trees. <laughs> I mean, just that, that, that okay. dude is not just okay. at a farm okay. for you to pull up in the parking that's lot fair. and pick off a tree. I mean, that's, come on now. No, like, that's fair. People forget that, that before Taysom Hill went through like, serious injuries at BYU, that mm-hmm. he was actually one of the better quarterbacks in college football mm-hmm. for, for the Cougs. And then to do put on what, like 40 pounds of weight? He's, he's playing almost everything imaginable, and he's doing it at such a high level that we cannot just expect guys like a Jalen Hurts to just step in and do what he's doing. There's no way in hell that people can just become Taysom Hill in the blink of an eye with a simple position change. So, look, I hear what everyone's saying. We'll take a good athlete and let him do what Taysom Hill's doing. Number one, you got to have the coach to pull that off, okay? Let's not discount what Sean Payton did with Taysom Hill. And number two, you got to give credit to the guy who's actually doing it. Taysom Hill is something we haven't seen in the NFL maybe ever. And so don't believe you can just replicate that by getting a guy in like the fourth to sixth round and plugging him around in the offensive system. Just careful everybody that's something i wanted to get on my chat so thank you very much rj for that platform well i mean look look four four speed even after the injury i mean you make a good point i would also say if you think that jalen hurts is going to be russell wilson i would say the same thing to you that colin did which is that you're out of your mind to believe that that guy grows on trees however jalen hurts is going to get drafted by somebody and he's going to get drafted as a quarterback what you decide to do with him afterward or what he allows you to do with him really afterward I'm interested to see because, look, people were saying any quarterback that's taken in the fourth round is going to be Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott now, right? They're not going to be Ryan Finley. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, like, freaking Will Greer goes in the second round, and he wasn't that good last year, all right? So, would we say Jalen Hurts is a better quarterback than Will Greer? Yeah. Would we say he's more accurate than Will Greer? Probably not. You know, would we say that Will Greer is a better passer of the ball down the field? Absolutely. But it's also a different set yeah. of skills, right? And you you brought up a good point. What's what's the system? Who are the coaches? And will it work? Because like Lamar Jackson, famously by many people, called running back, turns out to be the only the second unanimous MVP in the history of the league. The other one is the greatest quarterback to ever play professional football, Tom Brady. You know, Kyler Murray. I was yelling like you were are just just two minutes ago about people saying he should be playing wideout. Like, no, that guy's a quarterback. Are you not paying attention? He's a quarterback. Forget the Russell Wilson comparison, too, because he's just Kyler Murray. That's a that's a totally different beast over there. So I, I get where you're going. T- treat these individuals like individuals. But one of the things that we try to do is comp them and slot them as 
guys who need to evaluate the talent and also make it easier for folks to consume, right? Like, Barton Simmons caught right. hell for comparing Brian Brzee and, and Dominican Sue. You know, Jaquindon uh, uh, Jackson, he compared to Dak Prescott. You know, it's just, you're trying to give mm-hmm. people a visual of what his skill set might look like, not who he's going to be. Like, I've compared Miles Slusher to Ed Reed because that's his skill set. Not that he's going to be a pro football Hall of Famer and win a Super Bowl. That's not what I said. You know what I mean? It's just, I get where you're coming from. I also use the Taysom Hill comp, like many people, because it's the closest thing to saying, hey, I think that Jalen Hurts, there's, I don't think there's a thing that Jalen Hurts can't do, more to the point, right? I think that he can do anything on a football field. Which, by the way, ain't something mm. that a lot of dudes get to say. It just ain't. Now, Correct. Well, now, what he ends up doing, I'm like you, I'm going to be interested to see, and I'm going to be very... Very excited to see him play football. Colin, man, this has been great. Um, we got to do this more often. Hey, I would be down. Anytime, any day of the week, let's talk some ball. I'm always ready to talk, whether it's Sooners or the next level. We got some XFL going on, too. We got to talk about that sometime during the season as well, dude. Uh, dude, uh, let's let's try to do it again next week, then, because the, the Renegades will have played. Uh, the first week will be done. And you will have been there. And my mother's going to have her fan report, I'm sure. This is Colin Kennedy. Follow him on the Twitters at CKennedy24. At CKennedy24. He's the man. Uh, he's keeping that engine churning. That is OUNsider.com. He, myself, Joey, try to keep the front page spinning. And my man Drum comes through with insider notes. I come through with some. Colin comes through with some. Now is as good a time as ever to become a member at OUNsider.com. And again, follow Colin. He does a great job. And as you can see, he's built for this medium. Thanks so much, Colin. Hey, I appreciate you, man.